We've been talking about this incredible thing called love. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians for the, hopefully throughout the summer. But I uh, um, want to give you just a, a brief review. We, we talked about last week the fact that there's the power of love. We started in, in verse 4, power of love, and, and we looked at it. And, and in review, we'll just tell you two things. Number one, it said love is patient. And the second, love is kind. Now, what I try to tell you is that when we look at this passage, the first thing we do is try to fit people into this passage. This is how people should be and how they should do and how they should behave. You're right. But that's not what the passage communicates at first. It gives us a picture of God because God is patient and God is kind. And all those, all those various sentences you put God in front of and he fulfills them perfectly. We don't. We're on a journey trying to get there. The good thing is when we become followers of Christ, we now have the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to love like God loves. And what we've received from God, we can release to others. Now, that's the power of love. It just doesn't stay with God. It goes through us to other people. And that's when he said they'll know you're Christians by your love, not by your activity, not by your busyness, but by your love. Because you'll look like me. And we talked about the fact that God is uh, patient, meaning he patiently pursues us, constantly after us. There's not a person he doesn't pursue. And he patiently may take days, weeks, months, years to pursue some people. But God is patient. And he pursues us for salvation, for spiritual development after our salvation, and sometimes for restoration when we fall. And need to get back up. He's patient to pursue. God is kind. In, in his kindness, that's what attracts people to him. Because he's incredibly kind. That's what makes that person who's empty want to be come to Christ. Or that person that's, that's, that's a failure or, or, or guilt-ridden wants to come to Christ. Because he's kind. So we should be patient and kind. Because that's how God works through us to those around us. Now, that's the review. Now, let me go to today. Love has limits. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't quite make sense because I thought love was unconditional and just always love. Love is unconditional. The kind of love Paul talks about here, agape love, is unconditional. It's an act, not, an, not just an emotion. But love has limits. Here's what we know. There are some places love will not go. There's some places in our, in our mind and attitude and heart that God will not, that love will not go. In the sense of, uh, love's not going to be that way, look that way, or act that way. All right? Uh, here's what we know about, and put in context, the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 13, is Paul's amazing appeal to them to change. Because he talks about this church that was very active. Man, they were doing all kind of stuff, and they had all kind of spiritual gifts, but he said, you're not attractive. And I think perhaps that's the, the crisis for many churches today. We can be very active, but not very attractive, because we're sometimes undermined. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't love each other like we should. That's why he comes to 13. He said, of all the stuff you're doing, you need to love. It's great that you've got these spiritual gifts. You're doing all the stuff, but you need to love. Because until you do that, nobody cares what else you're doing. So, here's what we need to know. Uh, 
Love does not envy the success and blessings of others. Here's where the first limit is. Love does not envy. Where envy will begin, love stops. I can love you, but the moment I start being envious of you, the love, the love flow stopped. Close the door. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, love does not envy. It's very simply put. Now, that word envy is an interesting word in the Greek language. It's, it's zilu. Uh, and it actually can mean envy or jealousy. It's kind of an interesting term. It's not used all the time in, in, in the Bible, but it's used in just a few areas where it, it could be either one, and the text determines that. It means uh, basically a warm feeling either for you or against you. Kind of interesting. So it basically talks about the sense that I can, I can, uh, uh, I can have this, this feeling toward you that starts out rather warm but become very uh, inflamed and enraged, if you will. Here's what you need to understand the difference between envy and jealousy. You ready? It's just simple. Envy wants, uh, when envy looks at someone else and what they have, envy wants them to lose it. They want them to lose it. For example, you guys will probably start having boyfriends and girlfriend stuff. Probably already do, right? Maybe you got the, the, just the, 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 the girlfriend or boyfriend that everybody would love to have. Well, you, there's people around you that are going to begin to envy you. You know what they're meaning? They want you to lose that boyfriend or girlfriend. And sometimes they'll get mad at you because you have that boyfriend or girlfriend, or they'll talk about you because you have that boyfriend or girlfriend because they want you to lose that boyfriend or girlfriend. They want you to lose. That's envy. And we do the same thing as adults. Somebody has something nice, we kind of say, ah, it's great, I, yeah, but we really want to We wish they'd lose it. Boy, oh, boy, you know, how you got that great car? I, I hope they wreck that car. Don't look, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Ah, oh man! Uh, somebody has a nice house. Man, that's a great house. They don't deserve that house. Oh, man, I, oh, we won't say it out loud. Sometimes we think it. Man, you see, envy says, "I want you to lose what you have." Jealousy wants what you have, and both are ugly. And there's no love in those. And yet we've become a people. And in the Corinthian church, there were people being envious because one person had a gift they didn't have. And they were envious, hoping, well, I hope they lose that gift. I hope they do some big sin and God takes it away. But I want it. Because I am so much more spiritual than they are. Right. I deserve it. They don't. And this is what Paul was dealing with. And in real life, we do the same thing at the workplace. Sometimes at the ball field, you know, somebody's getting to play more than me. Oh, now I've gone to meddling a little bit, haven't I? Man, I hope they break a leg so I can play. Yeah. Bible calls that envy. He said, but preacher, that's how people do life. I know that's how the world does life, but the church is supposed to do life differently. Really? 
You see, so he says, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't envy uh, it, it, because it becomes a, it's a warm feeling. It becomes inflamed, affecting our attitudes and actions, causing ugly behavior. We do ugly stuff when we get this way. We say things we should never say. We begin to act the ways we shouldn't act. You say, how bad is this envy thing? Matthew 27, 18 says this. You ready for this? Talking about Jesus. He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of what? What? Envy. Did you get that? The whole beginning point of the crucifixion started with envy. Well, what were they envious of? They were envy of his following. They were envy of his success in ministry. They were envy of what people thought about him. They were envious. And they wanted him to lose all that he had. Now, when we're envious, we're no different than those guys that put Jesus on the cross. We envy someone else's house, spouse, job, car, spiritual gift, the church. Man, oh gosh, church. Preachers are some of the worst. We, we kind of want somehow, we, we, if, some, if your church is doing good and ours is not, we really won't ever say it out loud, but sometimes preachers hope you hit a train wreck. That's, that's not right. Man, we need to be cheering each other on. Man, we're on the same team. But sometimes, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and I, I, I grew up watching preachers be jealous, of envy, jealous and envious of one another. Man, I saw it. That ain't right. That shouldn't be. Man, uh, you, we shouldn't be that way. If, some, if God's blessing over here, you need to be cheering that on. And, if he, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll come around to you, just hang in there. But if you're envious, it won't. If you're jealous, it won't. That just, that just puts you further in the hole. God's blessing someone over here in their job, and you're going, oh, don't be envious because you trust God. He's going to work in your life. The minute you become envious, you're not even trusting God with your own life. And so he's saying, guys, look, let's do this right. Let, let's do this where God can work in our lives and the lives of others because, uh, that's, after all, if you can't have it, why, why should they? God has a purpose for life. He's doing things that fulfill his purpose. It may be different from yours. Just don't envy that. You see, that's, that's what we need to know. You want to know what envy can do? You go to the book of Genesis. There's a guy, guy named Joseph. And uh, he was the youngest brother of a whole bunch and he, he, was, he, he knew God had a purpose for his life. And he shared that purpose often. He shared that God was going to do something amazing with him, that he was going to be a person of authority, and he made the mistake of telling his brothers they were going to bow down to him. Well, nothing worse than telling your older siblings, you're going to bow down to me one day. Now, nobody wants to hear that. And perhaps he shouldn't have shared it that way, but he did. And they begin to get envious. They got envious. He said, ah, you know, and they were going to talk. This guy, he brags about what he's going to do and who he's going to be. And 
And we don't want him to ever have that. And so one day they plotted to kill him. That's what envy will do. It'll lead you to, to kill people's reputation, kill people's purpose, kill people's opportunity. Envy's an dang ugly thing. And so they said, we're going to make sure he never gets what he, he has. We, he says he's got this stuff. No, no. And so they plotted to kill him. Well, one of his brothers said, no, no. Well, let's, man, he said, man, don't do that. Let's put him in a pit and let's think about it. And, and he went back to rescue him. What did he know? The brothers had seen a caravan coming. And they said, why bother to kill him? Why don't we just sell him to this caravan and, and we'll never see him again. Shows how much they knew. We'll never see this guy again. He'll be done. He will be a slave the rest of his life. He ain't, nobody's going to bow down to him because he ain't going to have anything. We don't, want him, we don't want him to achieve his dream. We don't want him to fulfill God's purpose for his life. So we're going to take matters on hands and we're going to sell him into slavery. And he became a slave, and he became a slave in Potiphar's house, and that ended up real bad, and he, he got in jail, and, and that ended up bad until one day, because of his ability to interpret dreams, he was able to speak to Pharaoh in Egypt and interpret a dream that talked about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, dude, you're my man. You're going to be my right-hand man. You're going to be the number two guy in Egypt, and we're, I want you to get things ready for the famine. And so he did. And he was very highly esteemed in Egypt, uh, the, the, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And one day his brothers came for food. <laughs> and ultimately they bowed down before him. And he said, guys, you meant it for evil, God turned it out for good. But I'm here because God wanted me to save your life as well as the lives of his people. When we envy what God is doing and how he's blessing other people, we're hurting ourselves. Now I realize we are in a consumer mentality world. And we're in somewhat of a selfish culture. And it's all about me. I get that. But that's not how believers should live. They'll know we're Christians how we love one another. And when we start demonstrating envy in our conversation or jealousy in our conversation, we don't look like God. And we try to make people look bad and we hope they lose stuff and we kind of pass judgment on whether they deserve it or not. It's not my business. That's God's business. He blesses people sometimes abundantly because they give abundantly. And he may not can bless you that way because it would destroy your life. That's just God knowing us. Uh, so, so we look at this, we go, okay, I, I get this. We don't look like God would behave in envy and jealousy. We need to trust him to help us. Say, so well, how do I do this? Because human nature kicks up. It shows up. But here the spiritual nature says I can yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that will begin to help me grow an attitude and a desire to be gracious, to be patient, to be kind, and to not be envious. Okay, that's, so what you find is i got to really lean on God for this because the temptation is to be envious, for you to lose what you have, for me to have what you have. That's our temptation all the time. 
But the choice is I don't have to live this way. I can let the Holy Spirit make me content where I am because God loves me. He's got a purpose for my life, and he's going to work in my life. The second thing I want you to get is this. Love celebrates the good experiences and the joyful events with others. Here's the other side of envy. If I'm envious, I don't do this. But if I'm loving, I do this. I celebrate what God's doing in your life. Romans 12.10 says this. Love each other with genuine affection. I mean, be real. Be authentic. Don't fake it. Don't play the game. Just be real. And take delight. Watch this. Get excited. Take delight in honoring each other. That means I think you're better than me. I think you're just, man, you deserve more than me. I I think, man, it's great that God's blessing you more than me. And it's not that you should be comparing. I'm not talking about that, but you just realize, hey, I, I, I just think it's great what God's doing in your life. We celebrate. Now, in other words, love is magnanimous. Magnanimous. Huge excited for you. You do that. You become the star of the game. Man, I'm excited you caught that touchdown pass. We won the ball game rather than I wish I'd have caught that touchdown pass and everybody be patting me on the back. That's envy. That's jealousy. Man, I'm glad. Man, it's awesome. We won. You see, when you're doing good and I'm excited about it, I win too. But when I'm always dogging you or, 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 or building that little fire in my life of anger and resentment because of what's happened in your life, I'm hurting me. I'm not, it's not working. It'll lead to loneliness and sickness and sometimes even bad behavior. He said, Magnan- love is magnanimous. It, it, it's generous with support and affirmation. It cheers people on. It says, man, you can do this. You can do this. Be f- man, I'm so excited what God's doing in your life. I love to be around guys. I, 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 I've, in my life, I've been around all kinds of pastors. There's those who, who like to do the one-up thing and, and, and make you look bad so they look better. There's those out there. I get that. But there's also those out there that say, man, I'm so excited what God's doing in your ministry and what he's doing in your life, and I think he's so awesome. And they keep pushing you up and encouraging you. Man, I, I, and, I, and those are the guys I talk to. I don't really talk to the other guys. I, I don't. I, I'll talk to them some. I, you know, when I, when I see them, I love them. I do. But they just they depress me. So if I, if I, I call guys, because I know I'll call some of these guys, we'll talk. And when I'm through call, talking on the phone, they're gonna, they, I'll feel like, a million dollars because they say, man, we're so excited what God's doing. It's great. And, and we do that with one another because that's what love is. Love pushes you up. It cheers you on. Paul did that with Timothy. Barnabas did that with Paul. Man, we, we say, I am, I am excited. I'm celebrating that God is blessing your life. And you say, well, what about when he blesses unbelievers? Go back. God is kind. And in his kindness, he attracts people to him. And maybe in their blessing, they go, man, I need a, this, you know, and God opens their eyes to see their spiritual need. I 
And if that doesn't work, sometimes he allows them to lose things. He allows the devil to devour their stuff. Now, the devil does that. And that may bring them, but that's God's business. I just need to be a cheerleader. Say, man, I'm just grateful God's doing something in your life. I pray that God blesses you, that you sense his love for you. I do that with a lot of people that, that, I, that really necessarily don't know the Lord. I say, man, I'm praying for your business. I'm praying for that, that God just does something for you. Why? Because God is kind. That's how he attracts people. So, so this is what we see him do. We, we get this, all right? Support. When we love like this, we look like God, and we're letting the Holy Spirit work through us in an amazing, amazing way. We as Christians are kind of interesting. We, we hold on to stuff we should let go of. When God's trying to take us to another level and bless us even more, if we would just let go of some of our small thinking, we really think envy works. We think jealousy works. It doesn't. Never has. Her name was Susie. At six years old, she, uh, she had a string of fake pearls that she dearly, dearly loved. She played with them every day. She wore them every day. She wore them to the dinner table. She just had a ball with them all the time. They were her, one of the favorite things in her life. You could say she loved them. As an adult, she looked back at a time in her life, uh, and she shares a story about how she loved those pearls, and they were such a vital part of her life. And she loved her dad. Her dad would go off on business trips, sometimes be gone for several days, and he'd come back, and it would always be a great, great time of sitting down and playing and talking and having a good time. And, and, uh, and, and just uh, uh, sometimes he'd bring her different things, and, and they'd enjoy them together, but she always loved the pearls. And every time she'd see her dad, she'd be wearing those pearls. And just uh, as great times, she talked about how they loved one another, and it was great. Well, she calls the time uh, looking back in her life of when her dad would, had gone to the Orient. and was gone for a good period of time. He came back, and they had a great time together, and 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 it was a lot of fun as they played and laughed. And finally, uh, he was he was tucking her in bed, and and he said, "Darling, do you love me?" So, oh, Dad, I love you. Do you love me more than anything? Oh, Dad, I love you more than anything. Gosh, yes. Yeah. Will you give me your string of pearls? And she says, no. I love you, but I'm not going to give you my string of pearls. Even though they were fake, she treasured them. He said, I understand that, darling. It's okay. He left the room and she recalls she didn't sleep well that night. She thought about that. Kind of wrestled with it. So when she got up in the morning, she went into breakfast and said, Dad, I want to give you my pearls. Here. Because I love you more than anything. He said, I'm so glad you did. I'm so excited you did that. He opened up his briefcase and pulled out a little box and gave it to her. Here, I got this for you. And she opened it up, and it was a string of genuine pearls. Do we understand God wants to give really authentic stuff if we'll let go of the imitations? 
He doesn't give the genuine until we let go of it. He's waiting. He understands where we are. He's just waiting to open up what he wants to really give. And we hold on to the stuff that doesn't matter and the attitudes that don't matter and we keep score and we shouldn't. Who's got what? Who's doing better? What do you need to release that you may receive something even greater from God? Let go of the lesser gift to have the greater gift. That's what Paul's saying about love. Sometimes we value the wrong stuff. Value love. It's the greatest of all. What do you need to let go of this morning?